Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So let me start with a question. Who out there listening doesn't have more tasks than there are hours in the day or the week or the year to get completed? Or more emails than you can possibly read or respond to or double and triple booked meetings? And if you're like most of the people I talk to, your fundamental question is how do you get control of your time? Focus on what really matters and be efficient and effective, I'm going to say. And I talk to people all the time about what I think they can do to be more efficient. It's time not to listen to me anymore. It's time to listen to somebody who's actually put it in practice. So my guest today is Scott Solomon. Scott's responsible for technology for UBS Research and Evidence Lab and is involved with UBS's AI data and analytics strategy. He joined UBS in 2014 as Chief Technology Officer for Global Research and then led the team that delivered the highly the analytically powered smart platform. So a data junkie at heart, Scott earned his computer science engineering degree from Bucknell University, an MBA from NYU Stern, and prior to joining UBS, he was in the analytics practice at Morgan Stanley and owned finance systems, um, Morgan Stanley Research. I'll just leave it at that. And since then, he's created a ruthless efficiency practice since 2015, and he's done more than, uh, I can't tell you how many presentations, but has helped more than 10,000 UBS professionals get more done more quickly and with less stress. So Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, And I should say to everybody, I have heard about Scott's reputation long before I ever met him people telling me about how effective it was, and then I needed to know this guy. Then I saw a PowerPoint presentation of his, and I finally said, I have to meet him. I have to meet him. But Scott, let's start at the top. Why does this matter to you? Tell us about how you got started on this whole efficiency journey. Sure. So I never considered myself a very stressed out or kind of tightly wound person, Uh, but it's probably about 10 years or so ago now, uh, a colleague at Morgan Stanley introduced me to uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done book. We had a little bit of a book club and some follow-up discussions on that. Um, And the practice, without overselling it, it really changed my life. Uh, The stress that I didn't even realize I had kind of melted away. Uh, Any The the late nights that I had in the office started to decrease a bit. The work was getting done more quickly. And I was just, I felt more on top of things and I was getting more done and feeling calmer and better while I did it. Wow. Wow. Okay, for people who don't know David Allen's getting things done, can you just give us like the highlights of that? And we'll dig into the details in a moment. Sure. Uh, So what David focuses on is kind of getting into a state of flow that helps you um, kind of get through tasks much more quickly. It's things like maintaining a really good actionable to-do list. Um, It's how do you go through the day in a way that just keeps you in that state of flow and maximizes your efficiency? All right. So something we talk about, have to, I've talked about a lot, this notion of being at peak performance is the language that I use, where you're as sharp at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, as you are at the beginning of the day, and you just move through those tasks in 
you know, a calm state, but also in a really highly effective high performance state. What we know Olympic class athletes do on a regular basis to keep their performance up every single day, practice or performance. Um, and for the record, we have done a podcast with David Allen. So if you want to hear more from David Allen, please check out that podcast. All right. So what is it that, you know, like what were the problems that you were seeing? You said you didn't even know you were stressed. So what did you, as you get into this, what problems yeah. did you find you were having? Well, I guess I didn't, I didn't think about my stress because I just thought it was the way, right? I, I was working, you know, hard at a demanding job. I liked what I was doing, uh, but there was just, there was always more to be done than hours in the day. It was constant prioritization, you know, putting out fires and, and really just, I struggled to find that home base of having a way to figure out what are the most important things that I, I should be working on. Okay. Uh, and, and so it really was the type of thing where by eliminating feeling behind, uh, I still worked a lot of hours that that didn't stop. Um, but the feeling of when you get to the end of that long, hard day, and it feels like you've gotten a tremendous amount done rather than you just, you know, tread water all day. Um, that that's the type of thing that I started to get out of that, that GTD focused methodology. Okay. All right. Now you've said it's all about a mindset. Um, and you have some code examples. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, we all encounter these little bits of friction throughout our days that maybe frustrate us. Some of them are, are bigger and some of them are smaller. Um, so when I think about having this ruthless efficiency mindset, it's about finding things. I call them the rough edges throughout your day. You want to sand them down. Um, a famous example would be, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, and his ilk that just wear the same thing every day. Getting dressed is a source of friction. Um, I look at, at it as uh, frequency, the amount of friction and the amount of frustration that it creates. So getting dressed may be a low friction activity, but you do it day in and day out. Um, and if you change and optimize that just a little bit, then you can get your day started more quickly, more productively and move on to the next thing. And that's in that example, that's why we hear from them that they just always wear the same thing. It's one less thing to think about. Well, Focus on more pressing matters. I've had uh, senior men and various companies say, I don't know how women do it every day because you have to make too many choices in the course of the day. And all I have to do is decide color suit, color tie, the rest is kind of automated. Um, and I make a joke of that, not to say pro or con for anybody on it, but it's that finding the things that create friction or that create frustration and then not automating them necessarily as is it trimming down the friction. Yeah. The example that really stuck with me and kind of convinced me of that is um, I live in the suburbs of New York City and I take a train from Long Island into uh, Penn Station, one of the main train stations in, in New York City. Um, and my commute is a one mile walk from the train station to the office. And if you follow it by Google Maps, it will take you right through Times Square, which Maybe nice to visit, but terrible for commuting. There's tons of tourists and taking pictures. And, you know, if you've been there, you know that experience. Uh, so nice to visit, but not something you want to do every day. And so where I realized I was getting a bit obsessive about these things was I, I took a stopwatch and I would time the different routes that I could take from the train station to the office. Um, and if you've commuted through Manhattan or London, you probably know there's lots of different uh, cut throughs that you can take. You can go through this lobby here. You can go to this underground concourse. And I did that for a couple of weeks and I realized that I could save about five minutes by optimizing my commute. 
And on the surface, that feels like, well, that's not worth it, right? It's five minutes because, and you look like a crazy person with a stopwatch walking through <laughs> Times Square. Um, but instead, it's five minutes a day, 50-ish weeks a year. And I made that optimization like eight or nine years ago. And so the time that that has saved over time, it just, it adds up tremendously. Okay. I did say at the beginning that you consider yourself a data junkie. I think that is proof that you consider yourself a data junkie, but it is an important thing to say, where am I going to shave five minutes here and five minutes there and five stories somewhere else. And before you realize you've bought yourself back an hour in the day and who couldn't use that extra hour? Um, you have another one I want to know about the coffee scoop example. <laughs> sure. So th this is a perfect example of um, a minimal time savings. But when I do it every single day, it just makes me smile a little bit. Uh, so one of my jobs in the family is to uh, make coffee for my wife and I. And I prepare it the night before and I set it on the timer. And what I used to do when we got and it actually was my wife always drank coffee. I started drinking coffee during COVID. Um, so this was a new experience to me. Uh, thank you, COVID. And um, I would take a spoon out of the drawer and I would reach into the coffee bag and I would measure the amount of grounds and I would pour in my, my six or eight uh, you know, tablespoons into the coffee maker. Um, and then I would put the spoon in the dishwasher and I just, that, that ruthless mindset, I was like, this is just a waste of time. And so what I did was I bought a two tablespoon thing, like measuring cup that sticks, that stays in the bag of coffee. And I open it up. I do three or four spoons, depending on, uh, you know, how intense I expect the next day to be. Um, and I save again, that little bit of time. I don't have to clean the spoon. I don't have to open the dishwasher. Um, and it's these, it's these minor things. And although that one seems ridiculous, uh, but as you add them up, it's just having that approach and that mindset. It really changes the way you look at every little bit of friction that you encounter in your day. Okay. Uh, well, I can imagine for many people, this is a matter of starting to pay attention to where the points of friction are. And I do know for most people that there are so many points of friction by the time you've actually walked in the office, for most people, your stress levels are at a peak and you haven't even started your day. So eliminating some of these, while they may sound simple or not significant could actually change your mood. All right. So you start this ruthless efficiency. You've worked out how to do your coffee. You've worked out how to get dressed. You've worked out your commute. You've worked out every piece of the background thing. What's the payoff you got? It's it just that stress that I didn't even really have, uh, you know, it just, it dissipated. And so that's kind of like the macro big benefit, the life-changing benefit. Um, but when we talk through the details of kind of how it works and just managing that to-do list, everything that we've talked about so far has been outside of the office or before I even get to the office. It's then when I'm at the desk, the work that I can get done, it just feels much, much more efficient. And again, in that state of flow, okay. such that if this uh, you know, podcast conversation that we're having ends five minutes early, I'll go straight to my list of actions and I know, okay, here's the task that'll fill pretty much exactly five minutes before my next meeting. I can cross it off my list. And, and again, just be, uh, you know, be able to end the day at a more predictable time and just feel like I'm optimizing the time that I'm in the chair. Okay. All right. So tell us, I need, we got to get into how, what do you do in the day to day? So tell us a little bit how you make this work for you. And then I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of how, of your methodology that you've adopted. Sure. Um, so we, we've talked a bit about David Allen's getting things done. Um, referred to as GTD to most people that are uh, aficionados of it. Um, that was really the kind of the basic start for me, the baseline of it. Uh, but I can't, it's that mindset. I can't just leave something like that at face value. So I implemented what I saw in the book. 
Um, and then I, again, found my own rough edges. Not that there's anything wrong with that, that general approach, but I believe a key aspect of your own personal productivity system is it has to be low friction for you and you have to enjoy using it. Ideally, you want to be delighted by using it because that creates that feedback loop where you, you stay, you continue to use it. Um, and so I read as much as I could about personal productivity. Um, GTD was kind of the Bible, but then I, I realized that the tools that I had at my disposal, were maybe suboptimal. And so I started tweaking and, and um, making enhancements to those such that I could I could kind of optimize um, this that, that flow once I was uh, working in my task list. Okay. All right. So let me do a really, I guess you're going to do this one too, but a really simple outline of David Allen's methodology, teaching methodology, yeah. is that you create a to-do list and you end up with every, so you've got a big topic, like I've got to get a report done. But there's many tasks to be done to complete that report. So I put every one of those little teeny tasks down so that there's nothing else I have to think about in order to get the report done. And I organize those into longer term and five-minute tasks so or two-minute tasks so that when I have five minutes, I know one, two, three are next up, even if they're on five different projects. I've got my two-minute task list and I check things off. All right, that's the general notion. But walk us through how you use this methodology. So give us the steps, give us how it works for you, just kind of walk us through it. Sure. So a key component of, of my approach is it's really email. And we've all read articles that we get too many emails. We all do get too many emails. Um, I regularly get phone calls from people saying, Scott, can you do a campaign to tell people to send fewer emails? And I can say, sure, we can do that. And it maybe it'll work for half a second, but only those people that receive the campaign will maybe stop, will start sending fewer emails, but you'll still get a barrage of emails from everyone and everywhere else. And so what I realized was that you can't stop email. Don't, don't try. You need to kind of lean into email rather than trying to run away from it. And what I found in, in my years of, of being in the corporate world Email is, it's like the atomic unit of work uh, because so much of what we get asked to do comes in via email. And then we have to do, do the task that's asked of us. And then almost always you then respond to the email and then attach the file or say that the task is done or send some follow-up or something. Um, and yet everyone gets their emails and then they go somewhere else to track the work that they need to do. For some people, it's post-it notes on their desk. Um, for some people, it's a, a, a notebook, pen and paper, or maybe it's a digital means like they use Outlook tasks or they use, uh, you know, a more advanced project management system or, or task tracking system. But for me, because so much comes in via email, if you're, my belief is if you're looking at some system other than email, you got to take things from email, take them somewhere else, do the thing, and then go back to email. So when I, when things come up for me that are, don't originate in email, I'm getting them into email. Uh, so if my boss calls me up uh, and says, Scott, I need you to file the TPS report or something, I will take that and create an email on that. Um, and I'll use the subject of that email to basically say what the task is. And then the body of the email is any details that, you know, from David Allen, I'm emptying my brain on all the things that I need to do related to that. Uh, and so email is really my, my project tracking system because again, so much of it just happens through email natively. Okay. So that must mean instead of 500 emails a day, you end up with 2000 emails a day. I have no idea what the number is for you. 
how do you manage all of these and not get lost in yeah. email land? So the first thing is that you need a really good uh, triage process. Uh, I, I like to say you need to be the Usain Bolt of email triage, you know, fastest person in the world. Uh, you know, so many times we get sucked into these b- email black holes where you get this email, oh man, somebody's asking me to do something. Let me get started on that immediately. Or uh, that article looks really interesting and you click on it and you're like, oh, but I got this whole inbox full of email. So I'm just going to skim it. You don't really get anything out of it. So instead, do that triage process as fast as you can. Uh, Do the David Allen approach of you only have four options for an email. Do You can do it immediately if it takes less than two minutes. You can delegate it to somebody else if they're more suited for it. You can defer it if it's for you to do, but um, it's going to take you more than two minutes. Or uh, we all get way too many emails as we've talked about. There's a lot you can just delete. Okay. So do delegate, defer, defer or, or delete. delete. But the important part of do is if it takes less than two minutes, do it then. Yes. Um, it's that idea of only touch it once if you can. Um, but two minutes is not a very long time. And I, I tell people you really need to be ruthless. And at the beginning, start with that stopwatch of can I, how much, what can I really get done in, in two minutes? It, this is my downfall. I'll just admit every time I have a two minute task and I have five minutes, I think, okay, great. I got spare time. This will be great. And I touch the task and it ends up taking 30 minutes instead of the two minutes I thought it was because something gets broken or added on or whatever. So learning what you can indeed do in two minutes is really important. Okay. You said the magic word delegate. Um, we use that word all the time. Most of the people have no clue how to delegate. Do you got some advice on how to delegate? The first one is, is listen for self-delegations. I, 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 those are my favorite kind of delegations where somebody sends me an email and in the email they say, I'm going to do X. Um, now, what most people do, I think, and based on my conversation with people, you get that email and you say, great. And then you delete it or file it away and you never think about it again. And then maybe by chance at some point in the future, you remember to to check in with someone, with the person to see if that task has actually been done. Um, But what I would do with that is email, with that email is I say, great, I'm happy that they've taken that on themselves. Um, And then I take that email and put it in my waiting for folder, which is like my snooze folder uh, on another GTD concept where if that person says they're going to do it, maybe they haven't set a date of when they're going to do it by, but I know this isn't maybe that important and I'll check in in a week. And so then that email is out of my mind. I don't have to think about it, but I'm guaranteed hundred percent that I'm not going to forget about it. So it goes in that waiting for folder with a kind of an extra view date on it. And then I'll review that when the date comes, I can check in with, I do a quick mental check has the person done that? If they have, great. I could just delete or archive it. If they haven't, then I can follow up. And that's the beauty of where the email comes in. I have the whole email trail for context for myself. I have everything that was said previously. And then it gets even more powerful because then if I send it back to the person, they have the whole email trail as well. And if you contrast that with you know, I'm going to put it in my calendar to remind myself, or I'm going to write it down on a post-it somewhere, you don't have that context. And what I've found is we vastly overestimate how much we remember mm-hmm. when we create an action. If I write down mom on a post-it note and then I find it three days later, I wonder like, what was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to buy her a birthday card or uh, call her to say hi or bake her famous chocolate chip cookies? Instead, if, I, if you leave yourself enough context, 
you have all that and it's much easier to restart the task because most of the time we don't procrastinate because we're lazy. We, we procrastinate just because we don't know where to begin. Where to begin. Yeah. I find um, it's amazing how fast the context goes. And I know the larger the team that I am managing, the more context I need. And like, I know my team would always come in and say, Wanda, we need a decision on X. And I'd go, X what? <laughs> you, you have to almost train them to say, Give me the two sentence summary. So my brain has caught up with where you already are. And it's the same with taking an action or a phone call that's scheduled, you know, in two days. If I don't have that context, I completely can miss it. So you're right. right. How do you make it efficient to have that context right at your fingertips where you're going to need it? All right. Those delegating to yourself. How about delegating to somebody else? Sure. Um, you know, depends on your your place in the organization, but yes. regardless of junior or senior, there's uh, there's always people that don't report to you, and so it's about having a conversation. Um, if that person works for you, well, then it's an easier conversation because they're kind of uh, required, if you will, to do that task. Um, for me, anytime I'm asking anyone to do anything, context is the key. Again, uh, you want to help them understand why they're doing this what the benefit to either themselves or their manager or the team or the organization is for doing it. Um, people often tell me, I get tasks delegated to me, but my manager didn't say when. So be more, more descriptive about when things are due. Um, you may not think that that's very helpful, but it's super helpful to the person that's receiving the task because then they can prioritize it. Um, and just in general, the more context that you can give, the better. It's almost certainly going to lead to a better outcome um, for the task and, and your satisfaction with what you're asking of them. Right. Okay. All right. So we're going through the email, Usain Bolt style. Yes. We either do it if it can be done in truly two minutes or less. We delegate it either to myself or to someone else. And if to someone, to myself, then I put it in the waiting for a folder. Um, what do you do when you've delegated a task to someone else? Do you send yourself an email to check on or some other variation? Essentially, yes. Um, Outlook has a nice feature that most people don't know about where you can change the subject of the email. So in that case, what I'm actually doing is changing the subject of that email. I have a little code that I use, uh, WF for waiting for, and then the date that I'm going to review it, and then who am I waiting for, and what am I waiting for them to do? That way, when I look at that waiting for a folder, I can see everything in chronological order. Um, and then when I look at that folder, you know, in three days, I can see it just the list of tasks that are kind of, I like to say, ripe on the tree to be picked for that day. Right. And so at any point in time, if I was to look right now, I, I might have 50 things in that folder. But when I go in and look at it by date, I know there's only three things that are ripe and are ready for me to review. Right. So there's that, again, that triage thing yeah. of what's up and what's most important. All right, Scott, th this notion of, so defer means I've deferred, I'm going to do it, but it's going to take longer than two minutes and yeah. I got to wait to another time. Yeah. But what most people are telling me is that there is no time to defer it to, you know, this meeting, 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 and when do I get my work done? What's your secret there? So the thing that I am always, um, you know, careful to tell people about this approach is it will not make less work for you, but it will enable you to get the work that done that you have to do much more quickly and efficiently and hopefully happily. Uh, so I am a bit of a fan of, of blocking time uh, in the calendar so that, you know, people can't overrun me with meetings. Uh, but the way that I see most people do that, I would say is suboptimal. They okay. block time, you know, 48 hours out 
for task X. Um, And then they get 48 hours into the future and they look at that block of time and they say, task X, I got 16 things that have come up since then. I I wish I had time for task X, but it's really not the thing that I need to do right now. Um, And I would say that in general, we're pretty bad at predicting what is the most important thing for us to work on in the future. So instead of blocking time for a specific task, you just block time and say, do tasks or check actions folder, whatever mm-hmm. you know aligns with your, your terminology. And then when I go to that time, when that time block comes up, I go to my actions folder, which is my task list, and it has my priority sorted items, one through four. And I can very quickly look at the most important things that need to be done. And I have complete confidence that I'm not missing anything and I'm using this time as effectively as possible. Okay. Priority sorted. I like that. How do you do that? So I have four buckets of priority and I've, I've tried uh, having fewer and I've tried having more and I would encourage anyone, whatever number works for you, the number is not so important, but you need to have a fairly rigid kind of category for each of those four. So a one is something that uh, for me, it absolutely has to be done today. And so the way that I used to use that, especially when I was in the office more, um, I would have to take that train back uh, out to the suburbs. And I had young kids at the time and I was coming in early enough that I did not see them in the morning. And the category for a, a priority one, what the test was, is it worth missing seeing my kids to put them to bed? That's something that absolutely has to be done today. Uh, and, and at any point in time, there's maybe one or two, maybe three of those. If you have 10 priority ones, you're probably doing it wrong. Uh, priority two is um, that is where it's core to my job, but it's not urgent. So I need to do it. I, there's, no, there's no debating that, but it doesn't have to get done today. Uh, priority three is something that I definitely do need to get done, but I'll get to it at some point. And then a four, uh, as David Allen calls it, it's a someday or maybe. Uh, so I have some things that I'd like to do. Uh, I like to listen to music when I work. So I'll, I'll keep track of like some music or albums or playlists that I want to listen to because I don't want to forget it. But if I don't uh, ever do it, it's obviously not a problem. Okay. All right. So done today. And it's so important. I have to miss seeing my kids in the evening. That's how critical it is. I think some of us don't have good judgment on that one, just for the record. Um, two, it is important. It has to get done, but it doesn't have to be today. So some reasonable time period. Three, I do have to get it done, but at some point down the line. And four, maybe, maybe not. I would yeah. argue maybe not is often. And I know some people look at the someday list and often just delete. Like to just yeah. say, you know, I've waited three months. This is not clearly all that important. Delete until it changes. And that feels really good when you do that. And that's okay. It, Yeah, I agree with you. And I know I end up with a whole long list of, geez, I shoulds, which are basically someday, maybe. And someday, eventually, I will get through and just scratch those off because if they haven't become more important, they're not going to be that big deal. All right. Now, you've talked, so you put all of this into email so that you're tracking it in very specific emails. So you've talked about a waiting for folder. You've talked about an action folder. You've talked, are there other folders that you use routinely? So I have uh, a whole slate of um, kind of archive folders, could be by project or, or by work stream that I work on. Uh, but for me, it's really inbox, uh, actions, waiting for, and then the, these archive folders and then deleted items. Right. Okay. So very simple. All right. Cool. 
Um, and you also said block time on your calendar, but don't block it for a specific tie task. Block it so that you're constantly adjusting the priorities of what is it today that is most urgent. Okay. And, and that creates that feedback loop of making sure that your actions list is the one place where you keep everything. And I think you said it really well in the beginning. One of the things that's in that GTD approach is getting everything out of your head. And that's where the stress starts to dissipate a bit when you feel like there's no chance of forgetting ever anything and you get to be a hundred percent present, whether you're on the beach on vacation or at your kid's football match, whatever it is, or just working on a really important client pitch, you're not getting distracted by all the things running through your mind. Right. This is a piece that I think most people way underestimate. So I watch an awful lot of very, very smart people who go through their career for the first half of their career, and they can hold everything they need to remember to do in their head. And then they take on a bigger job or a bigger role or a bigger team or something and suddenly struggle to remember everything. But they've not developed these habits of keeping track. So now half their mental capacity is used up trying to remember the things from the 15 meetings that they've done today, let alone the 150 emails that they needed to pay attention to. Their brains are exhausted at the end of the day just from trying to track all of that. And David's notion is quit using your brain that way because holding on to information chews up working memory. And so I can't think efficiently. And no one will believe it until you make them adopt a system and live with it. And then they go, well, why didn't I try this long ago? So Absolutely. yes, that's the general principle behind it. Okay. So we've talked about the email and the triage. What do you do about these lists? Do you actually keep lists? And how do you go about doing it? Sure. From your email. Um, so those e emails, they, those lists, they live in my Outlook, in my email um, inbox broadly. Um, and then I'm sometimes I am blocking time to go through tasks, but it, I'm, I'm in and out of that folder many times a day. Uh, and then there's also this concept of a weekly review, which is at one point in the week, I do it Friday afternoons uh, to declare victory on the week that just happened and set myself up for success for the week ahead. So I have a recurring set of tasks that I do every time. It's some silly stuff, like I erase the whiteboard in my office and I clean all the junk off my desk so that I have kind of a clear workspace for the next week. Uh, but it also has some really impactful stuff, like I go through the calendar for the week that just finished, um, see if I missed any actions. I, and if I do, I would turn those into actions or waiting for if I'm waiting for people to follow up on things. Um, and then the, maybe the thing that helps me the most is I look at the calendar for the week ahead. And if I have, okay, I have that really important presentation Tuesday. Let me create an action for that. Let me maybe wake up a little bit early on the weekends before the kids get up to spend a couple hours on that to set myself up for success for that, for that week ahead. And in speaking with people, I, I've heard of this term of the, I think they call it the Sunday squirmies where mm -hmm. you're trying to you know, go to bed Sunday night, you can't quite fall asleep. It's not you know, fear of the week ahead or dread or anything. It's just that little bit of unsettledness of un being unsure of what the week is going to bring. And I never really had that kind of in, in full effect. But once I started doing this weekly review and kind of preparing myself for the week ahead, I sleep like a baby because I'm always 100% confident that Anything that's in my purview, it's in the system, and I have confidence I'm, I'm not going to miss it. Yeah, it's that fear that I'm going to miss something or that I didn't pay attention or I didn't get the detail or whatever. I think that adds a lot of stress to people. So, yeah. Um, I want to focus a little bit on a minute about the importance of clearing your desk and wiping the whiteboard. So, why is that important? 
it just clears your headspace. Um, you know, I, I wish I had some some robust study to cite, and maybe you you have it, Wanda. But uh, just having that kind of clear workspace, um, I've just found that if I'm trying to work something out in my head or have somebody in my office, if the whiteboard is doesn't have space on it, chances are I won't use it. I won't take the time to erase it in the meeting. Uh, so what I found was if I erase it on Fridays before I come in on Monday, then I'm just much much more likely to use it. Um, and it also is a really great opportunity. I have pieces of paper on my, on my desk right now. Um, those are not in the system. So at the end of the week, I am guaranteed that I'm going to clean up all the scripts of paper on my desk and turn those into actionable actions to make sure that nothing gets missed. And that also becomes really powerful, especially in this kind of hybrid work environment where I never have that, oh, I left it in my notebook on my desk. It's in, it's in the cloud, it's on my computer, and I can access it whether I'm in the office, visiting a client or at home. Yeah, that's the beauty of having everything in a cloud system, whatever form you want to use it in. Yeah, physical paper, you have to remember to carry it with you. And if you decided that you're going to the office next day and then change your mind, your stuff. Um, one of the people, Neen James, somebody else I've done a podcast with, who's another efficiency, time efficiency expert says, and David Allen may say the same thing. If things are on your desk, they distract your focus. So, yeah, and we true. know that every time your focus is distracted, you are losing at a minimum 18 minutes and maybe more. So that breaks up your flow. You're out of the groove of what you were thinking, trying to do, and you remember, oh, that thing. So clearing the desk is like clearing your mind space to say, I am now ready. So I find it interesting that you have found that that's necessary on a Friday and making sure all the pieces are documented where they need to go. And, and this isn't a new approach. Uh, talking with top salespeople that I've worked with, they a lot of them have that kind of Sunday night ritual where they set their goals for the week. Um, I'm going to talk to this client. I hope to bring in this many of sales, whatever it is. It's having that planning of understanding what you hope for the week to bring, what are the concerns that you have for the week. And again, it's just getting it out of your head and onto paper. Once you feel like it's in the system, the weight just comes off your shoulders and, and the benefit is, is really amazing. Okay, fabulous. All right, Scott, I got to do one more of these, which is you have this whole idea that you got to get through your triage in case the CEO mails you. Tell me what you mean by that sure. statement. Um, so it, it's a, a somewhat silly example that I give in, in the training that I do with people. Um, I show them a compliance um, training that they have to do. And at, all of us at big corporations get these. Um, you have to do a bunch of them a year. And they're very important. And we get tracked to make sure that we do them. Um, if we don't do them in a timely way, our managers get upset. Um, and so we have this uh, real need, this desire to get it done quickly. And so I show that email and I say, what is this email? Is it a do, a delegate, a defer, or delete? And usually the first couple of people that respond say, it's a do. I'm going to do it right now because I want to get it off my plate. I don't want to have to think about it. I don't want my boss telling me I have to do it. Um, and then I say to them, well, is that is it really going to take you two minutes? Because these things usually take a half an hour, plus or minus. And they say, okay, you're right, but it's still, it's, re it's really important. And I call that a black hole email because as soon as you decide to engage with that email, you're clicking away into something else. And again, you're, you're sucked away from your inbox triage for 30 minutes or so. And when you're doing that triage, your only goal is to be like Usain Bolt and get to the finish line. He doesn't get distracted. He focuses on the finish line. And for us, the finish line is that, that inbox zero. And so the silly example again is, uh, 
if you get sucked into that black hole of that compliance training, maybe the email right below it, which you didn't see, is the CEO inviting you to breakfast. And he says, I'm going in 20 minutes, Scott, do you want to come? And then I'm doing my training and I come back and I haven't seen that email. And now my breakfast invitation has expired. I've squandered my opportunity. And so the, the way I explain that to folks is you can't decide what you should be doing until you know everything that you could be doing. And so once you get through that inbox triage, that's your full list of everything that you could be doing. And then you can go to your, your actions folder and decide, here's the thing that I should. I love that. What you could be doing first, then you decide what you should do. Hmm. Love it. I love it. So you were focusing on the one that really matters. All right. Fair enough. Scott, this is a perfect place to take a break. So my guest today, Scott Solomon. Scott, as I've said, is responsible for technology for UBS Research and Evidence Lab, and he does a whole host of other things in the data and analytics and AI space for UBS. Scott's passion, apart from his day job, is efficiency, what um, Scott will call ruthless efficiency. And we're going to be back to talk about more tips that Scott has to say about how to make yourself more efficient. We'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Scott Solomon, and we have been talking about efficiency, ruthless personal efficiency. And I think if you're listening to Scott's commentary, you realize that he is on absolutely every single minute that he can do to reduce wasted time 
and therefore reduce stress and keep himself in the zone and get more done. So Scott, we've talked about the in-mail, inbox details, the action folder, the uh, triaging process with your um, email, and this notion that you don't know what you should be doing until you know what you could be doing. So triage first and then make a decision, act, delegate, do in two minutes or defer to another time. Let's hit some of your other highlights. So you have this notion about making your actions actionable, please. What is that? Sure. So it comes back to the some of the things that we talked about a few minutes ago regarding you don't remember the context that was in your head when you go to actually do the task. Um, and so I, I give this example of you're having a party at your house and you go to get some beverages from the refrigerator and the light bulb in the refrigerator is, is burnt out. Um, and some people say, well, I, I change it right there, right in the middle of the party. But maybe you don't have the light bulb or maybe you'd rather spend time with your family or friends than you know change a refrigerator light bulb. And so I convince people that, okay, send yourself that email or add it to your actions list. And people write down things like light bulb. And that's the same problem as that mom posted. When I come to it a day, a week, a month later, I'm not going to know what that really means. And so it doesn't get done. And, and what happens, it's the next time I go to the fridge, I open the refrigerator doors and I'm still, oh, that's the light bulb is still burnt out. Uh, and so we need to get it into the system, but we need a lot more context than that. So instead, maybe you write something like buy refrigerator light bulb because you don't have it. It's a one word change, but it changes the task dramatically because you're not going to start it in your kitchen. You're going to do it on your computer. If you're like me and you order it from Amazon, maybe you're going to pick it up on your way out at the store. Uh, but even that isn't quite enough context because at the time that you wrote that down, you were in the kitchen staring at a burnt out light bulb. And somewhere in that fridge is like the model number of the refrigerator. If you say buy Samsung F6A light bulb on Amazon, you have all that information that you can add to your action then. And then you have that completely actionable action and you've dramatically reduced the friction again, because we don't usually procrastinate because we're lazy. We just don't know where to begin. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie Back to the Future. And I think about this as paying it forward to your future self. It's like Scott of the present is putting something into the, into the DeLorean, into the time machine to send it to Scott of the future. Scott of the future doesn't have that context. And he pulls out the post-it note. And is he going to have all the information and think, oh, Scott of the past was a genius? Or is he going to think Scott of the past was a, was a real idiot? Tell me what I needed to do. Well, and, and the tip that I give to people on top of that is imagine you had somebody that could do everything for you that you ask of them, a personal assistant, however you, you frame it. Uh, and if you just said to that person, light bulb, they would say, what do you mean light bulb? That's not nearly enough information. But if you said, hey, can you buy the Samsung F6A light bulb on Amazon? Well, they can go and do that task. You have to think of yourself in the future as your own personal assistant. That is powerful also in terms of delegating, um, especially small tasks. We don't want to delegate every task with that level of direction because that kills some autonomy. I get that. <laughs> but at the same time, and, you know, I, th I find personally, I've got it, you know, the buy refrigerator light bulb. I've got that. But then I have to remember, wait, what was the refrigerator number? Oh, no, I don't have time to go and check it out. I don't even know where that's located. And then it goes to the doesn't get done pile and just sits there and stresses me out. So, okay. Outlook Greece, explain. Yeah. Sure. So um, Outlook or, or whatever task management system you use, I'm sure has a million options. And most of the times we never pay attention to that or we can't be bothered. 
But again, uh, to have a system that you're going to continue to use, you want it to be as frictionless as possible and you want to enjoy using it. Uh, so you can customize these things. One example of that is uh, I get inquiries all the time about the ruthless efficiency training. And what I found was I was saying the same thing every time. Thanks so much for your interest. The list of sessions is available here. Feel free to sign up. Let me know if you're interested. And instead of typing that, I've had more than 10,000 people now. So I didn't certainly didn't want to type that 10,000 times. And so I created, I used an Outlook Quick Step, which is like a little macro or shortcut in Outlook that lets you automate something that you do regularly. I do the same thing when I get an unsolicited email from a vendor. You know, please remove me from your list. It's one click. It deletes the email, it replies to them, and then I never have to hear from them again. Um, so again, it's just that mindset of what are the things that I'm doing regularly such that I can uh, you know, get through the day much more efficiently. I love that. I love that one. All right. Turn off interruptions. Why is that important? So th this is probably the number one thing that all the attendees have come back and said, this simple thing just changed my work experience. Uh, you're probably familiar with the Outlook pop-up or just notifications in general. Um, when you get an email, Outlook uh, brings up a little pop-up in the lower right corner of the screen. It puts an envelope icon on your taskbar and it makes a sound. Mm -hmm. When Outlook has been around since 1990, that's more than 30 years. Um, at that point, I think people were getting like 10 emails a day. So much so, if you remember back then, Wanda, you know, when you got an email on America Online, it said like, you've got mail. Like it was exciting. Yeah, it, was exciting. it was an event. Yeah. I don't think people, I certainly myself, have that <laughs> level of excitement when an email comes in now. Um, and so we forget, we can just turn all that stuff off. And the studies that I've read say somewhere between 18 and 25 minutes uh, it takes to get back into that level of flow when you get an interruption, yet we have all these pop-ups and notifications that are interrupting us all the time. So I tell people just turn them off. And then sometimes I get these like concerned looks like, well, what am, what, my boss is not going to be able to get me. I'm going to miss things. It's not that you're not going to check your email. You're going to check your email as often as you need to, but you're going to do it on your schedule. And then when you go in there, you're going to triage it like Usain Bolt. And then when you leave your inbox, instead of leaving with, you know, a mix of emails that you have read and haven't read and some tasks you have to do, you're going to leave your inbox will be empty. And you have that just confidence that I have a place for everything and I have a great action list that I can go back to and, and check these things off the list. Great. Yeah. I love to cite that research. Nobody believes it. 18 minutes, if you've trained yourself, the average very intelligent person, as in a Stanford University graduate, 23 minutes is what every interruption costs you. And think about how many of those you have in a day and how much time you would buy yourself if you stopped being interrupted. We all should be thinking about that one. All right. We've already talked about this weekly review, this notion that at the end of the week, you take a look at what is it that I've done, haven't done, celebrate the victory clear off your desk, pick up the pieces of random paper, get them into the action item in your inbox, wipe your whiteboard. Is there anything else you do in your weekly review? I, I mean, I, I'm not a person that, that does a tremendous amount of like self-introspection, but if I'm going to do it, that's the time that I'm going to do it. Um, and I just think about really what's worked well in the week and, and what hasn't. And yeah. Uh, just by taking a moment and honestly, a scheduled moment to do it, I make sure that I'm, I'm ready to go right. for the weekend. Right. I often say to people that I'm coaching that are trying to change a habit in one form or another that a Friday check-in, how did I do on this 
red light, green light, yellow light, and uh, you know, five minutes, what worked, what didn't work, what do I need to review with my coach whenever we talk again can be enormously helpful in making progress on those sorts of things. People All always right. ask me for my weekly review list and I say, I'll, I'll give it to you, but it, it's, per, it's personal. You should come up with the list. So what are the things that you need to do to right. be happy about the week? That right. right. And be prepared so that you're clear in mindset. You actually can focus when you're at home and you feel like you've relaxed. All right. You say people make a mistake doing inbox skimming. Explain. Uh, so it, it comes down to, the, I'll go back to the example of, um, you know, you get the compliance training and you don't know that the CEO has emailed you as, uh, as well. And people say to me, well, Scott, that's, that's, not, that's not accurate, right? When I come in, I just scroll up and down in my inbox and look to see, has my boss emailed me? Has an important client emailed me? Has a CEO emailed me? And what that does is, that typically leads to the people that have hundreds or thousands or 10,000 emails in their inbox because they can never get through it all. And your inbox really only has one purpose. It's for things that you haven't seen yet. And think about it like the old in-tray in an office. Something comes into the in-tray. You don't leave it in the in-tray. You decide what you're going to do with it. You put it in its place and then you move on because you know that the inbox, that in-tray is only for things that you haven't seen yet. But we seem to have lost that when it comes to email. People just use their inbox as kind of their task management system, but it just leads to this skimming where I'm just picking and choosing which emails I'm going to open. And what that leads to is reading and rereading the same emails over and over again, because you don't know if you've read it or not, or some people play games with, they, they then mark an email as unread, just touch it once, decide, is it do, delegate, defer, or delete? If it's an action you have to do, get it into your actions folder, and then you'll address it in the appropriate priority. It's interesting. Um, when we dealt with paper, as opposed to all the electronic stuff, the advice on efficiency was to touch every piece of paper one time. And it's a very interesting challenge to not pick up the piece of paper, put it down, pick it up again, have to read it again, decide what to do with it. Then you know. And what you're saying is the same thing, but with your email, touch Absolutely. it one time. If it's deferred, it goes into that folder that you've got to action with a thing to action on in the context. I love that. Okay. Now, you also say one of the mistakes that people make is they don't stick it out. Yeah. Um, you mentioned habits before. That This is a habit. It is the habit of when I go into my inbox, I'm not going to leave my inbox until it is done. And I'm not going to get sucked into that black hole. Um, this is where the weekly review helps, especially in the beginning, because if you get behind a little bit, it's that time where you can kind of play catch up. And I, I promise you and everyone that's listening, the feeling of an empty inbox is tremendous. And once you get that habit, I mean, all the, the research on habits is, you know, well, Wanda, it is, you need the, the trigger, you need to take the action, then you need the reward for it. The reward right. is that little bit of dopamine you get of, oh my God, I'm, 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 I'm aware of everything and I have nothing left to do right now. So if somebody happens to be one of those people that has 10,000 emails in their email box inbox, do you recommend they just hit delete on all of them and start fresh or do you have pretty some much, system? <laughs> pretty much. I, I call it email bankruptcy. Um, and it's <laughs> like US bankruptcy where there's not really any long-term consequences. Um, so you go into that you know, massive list of emails that you have. And I regularly interact with people that have you know, 10, 15, 25,000 emails or more. 
you're just using your, at that point, you're using your inbox like an archive. You're not using it for, um, you know, things that you haven't yet seen. It's not as if one day you were going to come in and say like, okay, today's the day that I'm just going to review all these emails. Uh, so m anything more than say a month, just maybe not delete, just put them in a folder, call it archive or email bankruptcy. Uh, the stuff that's more recent than that, do a quick skim through it. What are the things that I need to turn into actions, create your actions and you're waiting for folders, move stuff over. Um, if you have, you know, 10, 20,000 emails, you probably need about half a day. It's a nice one to do over like a holiday break or a day off or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but again, once you have that set up, the weekly review will help you kind of stay in that, in that habit and help you build right. it. Right. I like that idea of creating a folder that says email bankruptcy and just shove it all in there. So if there's someday you need it, you can find it. Um, yeah. Yeah. We all get guilty of leaving too many on that one. All right. Now the last question I have for you, and we've got three minutes before we're going to wrap this one up. As you've adopted this, um, how do you go about problem solving when things are not working? So what's your recommendations for looking for problem solving? I think the first is really just observe uh, that can be looking, it can be listening and talking to people. Uh, you want to understand, especially if you're an outsider trying to problem solve something, what's the current situation. Uh, my approach generally is I look for those friction points. I'm always looking at it from an efficiency mindset. Right. I'm asking myself, is this similar to a pattern that I've seen before? Do I have a, a tool in my toolkit um, that I can, can have used in the past and has been effective? Um, you know, read and, and research where appropriate, but the, the one that can, it can really help you solve just about any problem you encounter is, is brainstorming. I am a huge proponent of it. It is amazing when you get a diverse group of people and opinions and voices in a room of what you can come out with in terms of solutions. And you honestly do the same type of thing as you do when you're doing an inbox triage, get all the ideas out onto the table, um, have a discussion about it. No idea is a bad idea. And then, um, you know, figure out what the right next steps are. And it, it can be really, really powerful. Once you realize that it's most likely I'll come up with a better solution if it's not just me solving the problem, but if it's, if it's we solving the problem. And it's more fun often for many Absolutely. of us, at least. I like this notion of looking for the friction points. And that's where you started paying attention to where are the rough edges, the irritants in my day that I do regularly and that are kind of making me edgy and start to tackle those. And you're doing this the same way in terms of problem solving. Where are my friction points? And then what is it that we can, we could do followed by what is it that we should do? It's the same methodology turned into problem solving. I love that, Scott. All right. Any last pieces of advice you want to offer? Just give, give it a shot. Uh, again, I, I never, I, th I didn't know I had a problem. I never knew I, I was that stressed out person, um, but just finding the right approach and then customizing it to my needs. Um, I've been keeping up with it for 10 years or so now, and I, I cannot imagine what my life would be like without it. Right. Well, I'm going to say, looking at the people that I coach, it's very difficult to go on to take that larger job if you can't handle what's already on your plate. So no manager in their right mind is going to give you more to do if you can't do what you've already gotten. So I think it's an important skill to acquire. All right. My guest today, Scott Solomon. Um, as I've said, he works for, he's responsible for technology for UBS Research and Evidence Lab. As you've heard from Scott, he's taught more than 10,000 UBS people and some others, I might add, on how to get more done more quickly and with less stress. I think, Scott, the highlight for me is this notion of using your inbox as your 
to-do list and not having another place to go and then creating these, do I do it now in a two minute? Am I waiting for information? Am I deferring it so it becomes an action item? And idea of sending myself an email so I know that it's right there. I, those are very good ideas. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. And join us next week for more and how to get out of your comfort zone. If you like these ideas, please rate us highly on your favorite podcast server and check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.